0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Well, coming up on this Thursday edition of Washington Watch, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy made clear yesterday that the future of the American economy is now squarely in the hands of President Biden.
2: Now, the president can no longer put this economy in jeopardy. We lifted the debt limit. We've sent it to the Senate. We've done our job the only body in here that's done theirs.
1: Democratic leaders apparently did not think Republicans could unify and accomplish something of this magnitude. It's a bill
0: that might as well be called the Default on America Act because that's exactly what it is, D-O-A, dead
1: on arrival. That was Democratic scare leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer. Well, what will the Democrats do now? Also, the House Homeland Security Committee approved a highly anticipated border security bill earlier today. What's next for this measure? That will resume border wall construction, expand the number of border agents, and increase the use of technology, all in an effort to secure our southern border. We'll talk with Congressman Josh Burkeen, a member of the Homeland Security Committee in just a moment. Another telling oversight hearing on Capitol Hill yesterday when the select subcommittee on the coronavirus explored the American Federation of Teacher Unions' influence on the Biden administration's school reopening policy.
3: You have a direct number to to Director Wilensky. Do I have Director Wilensky's direct number? Yes. Yes, I have Director Wilensky's direct number. Well,
4: hopefully she'll give it to me, too.
1: That was Arizona Congresswoman Debbie Lesko talking about how the teachers' union direct access to the CDC, really dictating the policy on the reopening of our schools. I'm going to be joined by a member of the House Education Committee that has been raising concerns about the undue influence of the unions on school policy and on the Biden administration. Illinois Congresswoman Mary Miller— joins me a little later. And North Dakota has become the latest state to take a strong, uncompromising stand on behalf of the unborn. North Dakota State Senator Yana Myrdal will join us with the details. Finally, it is clear the Biden team and Democrats are going to make abortion, that is the taking of the lives of unborn children, a central theme of the 2024 election cycle. You say, how do you know that, Tony? Well, listen to what they have to say.
5: The highest court of our land, Thurgood's court, took a constitutional right that had been recognized, recognized from the people of America, from the women of America. Fundamental freedoms are under attack in our country today.
1: That was Vice President Harris earlier this week at an abortion rally. That's right, an abortion rally at Howard University here in D.C. FRC's Meg Kilgannon joins me later for that conversation. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're back on Twitter, it's at T. Perkins. That's right, at T. Perkins on Twitter. Our word for today comes from Ezekiel 39, verses 21 through 24. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and they fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions and hid my face from them. So, what is behind God's actions? Does He act arbitrarily and without purpose? No, this prophetic message from Ezekiel, which is yet to be fulfilled, reveals the motives and the purpose, the sin of man and the glory of God. Our sin prompts His judgment, but it is for God's glory that He acts. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org. bible As I mentioned last night, the House narrowly passed the Limit Save Grow Act, which raises the debt ceiling, but in combination with eliminating wasteful spending from many of President Biden's handouts to the left. Now, this sets the table for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to finalize a way forward on the debt ceiling increase with President Biden, if, if the president is willing to negotiate. With as few as six weeks remaining until a possible government default, will the White House accept reality and work towards an agreement? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Josh Burkeen. He serves on the House Budget Committee and the House Homeland Security, Sub- uh, Security Committee. He uh, represents the second congressional district of the state of Oklahoma. Congressman, welcome back to uh, Washington Watch. Thank you, sir. It's an honor. So um, let's talk about this, the Limit, Save, Grow Act. Uh, I was actually up on Capitol Hill last night after it passed, talked to a number of members, and uh, there was a kind of a a celebratory atmosphere. I think many people didn't think it could get accomplished with such thin margins, but it happened. Your thoughts? Well,
2: it's uh, one of the largest cuts that's ever been passed out of the House. It, over a 10-year window, is uh, projected to save uh, $4.8 trillion. And if you look at the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget, who does a, a, a graphing, um, our as a visual for the viewers to kind of get in their mind what a hockey stick looks like, that's, that's, the, that's the graphing of our debt moving from approximately 100% debt to GDP ratio 10 years from now being 118. Um, but if uh, this is implemented and if it's followed, it uh, moves us to 106. Tony, we have to get in the habit of cutting, and this is the only opportunity we have as a nation is to grow our economy, and we have to start getting serious about cuts. And the days of raising the debt ceiling without uh, solving the problem to to the greater level that's really been exacerbated in the last forty years, we've got to adult, and we've got to to face the the consequences, and we've got to start doing something about that. This does something about that. And in divided government, my hope is that the president will come to the table and uh, and see that he has to be reasonable. He can't continue to to spend without account.
1: So let me ask you, do you think he will come to the table and he will negotiate with the speaker?
2: I think it didn't. You know, it's going to be upon the American people to
1: to force him to.
2: um, One of the things that we're talking about is in this uh, this proposal, Inclusive of what he voted for in 1996, is work requirements for those that are recipients of Medicaid, uh, uh, SNAP, food stamps, uh, TANF, they we, there's welfare reform and divided government. You know, 20 years ago, and so he voted for that as a member of the Congress. Said we need less dependency, and so we're we're sending it to him to say, you know, not so many years ago you believed in this, and uh, you know, for for the people that have a biblical worldview. Um, we had 16, 20, 1630s 16, when Jamestown flourished because they kicked away the socialism model that had failed, and they started implementing uh, thou shalt not work, thou shalt not eat. For able-bodied individuals, it's unfair for them to be living off a single mom hustling and and uh, be the recipient when they're not choosing to hustle. And we're undermining uh, the the value of of individual responsibility when we allow that to
1: happen in America. So, Congressman Burkeen, let me ask you this question. Uh, how strong is the resolve among the Republicans to say, you know what, We're, we, we put this offer on the table. The, the Democrats seem to be totally dismissive of what the Republicans are doing. Are, you gonna, are Republicans going to stand their ground? That's my
2: hope. Um, You know, I was a part of, of, you know, I know you said that Mary Miller is going to be on here in a a little while. Um, She's one of my favorites. Uh, We're both in the Freedom Caucus. We're both part of, you know, holding up the decision uh, the first uh, four days of this Congress, trying to get leadership to agree to going back to 2022 spending levels. I'm grateful that Speaker McCarthy embraced that. He obtained the gavel with that. And that is a part of this deal. And so, you know, to be doing what Reagan called uh, the Republicans to do, to be a, a people of principle that stand with bold colors, not pale pastels. Uh, the Freedom Caucus, many of us trying to stand on conviction, not do what's popular, uh, not, you know, be playing safe, but what's conscience
1: dictating. Conscience says it's time to start securing the yes. blessing of our posterity. You're, you're absolutely right. And I, and I commend the speaker. I, I talked to him the uh, night before last. Um, I, I agree. I think he's doing exactly what he agreed to do. And he's sticking to it, and I commend him for that, and I commend the Freedom Caucus. I actually commend all the Republicans uh, who stuck together to get something, I think, quite significant across the line. Now, my prayer and hope and encouragement is we hold that line. I want to move to another issue. You're on the Homeland Security uh, Committee, and today they advanced a measure to the floor that will enhance border security. Tell us about it.
2: So you said today because we were up until 3 a.m. <laughs> there was uh, Some of us had little sleep uh, starting this morning, but we finished up at 3 a.m., and part of that is to resume uh, the construction of a border wall that was fully funded by Congress, 250-mile of wall, and for the first several days after President Biden said not another foot, he overturned the will of Congress, undermining the Constitution, which in Article 1, Section 1 says all legislative powers are to be vested in the Congress. Not another foot he, by executive pen, first 30 days, stopped construction of that wall, which was costing by his decision to shut down contracts. Three million a day. It's now lessened. It's only, uh, only I use that word sarcastically, $130,000 a day to allow materials to rust away at the border wall. And we are, uh, as re, a Republican conference, uh, thanks to Chairman Green, moving forward a measure that says the will of the American people through the, the will of Congress needs to be followed. A part of it is re, uh, res, resuming uh, that 200-mile that, uh, wall using the funds that were allocated, and uh, physical barriers work. Yeah. President Biden voted for physical barriers in the, in the Secure Fence Act of 20, 2006. He actually had a statement I quoted yesterday to the Democrats pushing back on this, and I said I played a you know a soundbite said who said that it was Biden President Biden as a senator saying we need fences because they stop the flow of, of drugs in the interior
1: between the ports of entry. Let me ask you to repeat that number you used about what is. Being wasted each day there at the border, the material that, 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 to me, that sounds criminal.
2: Yeah, it's so when they, when, when President Biden overturned the will of Congress, there was a fully, full allocation approved by the will of the people. Congress voted for, put funding forward for 250 mile of border wall. On day one, he said, not another foot, reversing his own course when he served under President Obama, and Obama built 150 mile of physical barriers. He says, not another foot. By executive order, he shuts it down. I asked Roger Ortiz, his own Border Patrol uh, chief, a month ago in a hearing, do you disagree with President Biden's decision to shut down construction of that wall? His second-in-commander, Mayorkas, said, I disagree. This is the guy who's over all the Border Patrol agents. You've got disagreement among Democrats because physical barriers make the job of those, those agents much more efficient. History proves that right. with physical barriers. Um, there's facts uh, San Diego's point in fact especially in urban areas but uh, when they when those contracts were put in place for that 250 mile he shuts it down by executive order it cost from day one $3 million a day um, senior senator of my state James Lankford was putting out information on it is now lessened over time it's still costing $130,000 a day for that material to be lying,
1: rusting, deteriorating that, that's criminal negligence and my view, just, that, it, this is taxpayer money and resources that are absolutely just being wasted. I- incredible. Uh, Josh, we're out of time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, appreciate right. your leadership on Capitol Hill. Thank you, sir. God bless you. See what you're doing. Thanks for standing for biblical proof. All right. Thank you, Josh. Josh Burkine of Oklahoma. All right, we're going to continue. Washington Watch on the other side of the break. Congresswoman Mary Miller joins me as we uh, we talk about this cozy relationship between the teacher unions and the Biden administration. You heard the clip at the beginning of the program where um, the, the president of the teachers union, Randy Weingarten, has the cell phone number of the CDC director, kind of giving her her orders. Don't go away. i back. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, in testimony yesterday before the House Select Subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic, American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten insisted that she and her colleagues did not conspire with the CDC to delay school reopenings more than a year after the COVID pandemic began. Now, we all remember that many schools, particularly in blue states, remained closed, despite evidence from other developed countries and local private schools that schools could open safely. Now, the catastrophic results of those closures to both student achievement and overall health, physically and mentally, uh, cannot be overstated. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congresswoman Mary Miller. She serves on the House Education of, on Agriculture— as well as the House Committee on Education and the Workforce. She represents the 15th Congressional District of Illinois. Congresswoman Miller, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you. It's always a privilege to be on here. So, any surprises here when we look as uh, the, the Select Committee dug down and saw this collaboration with a teachers' union and a government entity that was tasked with governing the health, the CDC?
3: no surprises whatsoever. And, you know, they shrink from the light. They don't want uh, transparency or accountability, but praise God, there are people here in Congress that are pursuing the truth on a lot of fronts. And I think yesterday, we now uh, have confirmed what we knew all along, that there were uh, dramatic and measurable damage There there was dramatic and measurable damage done to our um, youth by shutting the schools down.
1: Any surprise in this cozy relationship between an organization that is committed to political activism, not the advancement of science, Mm -hmm. being such an influential factor in the policies that govern health, for our students. I mean, they, they they had a direct line to the CDC. Right. Well, the Biden
3: administration is driving all of this, and it's really a breakdown in our country. And um, you know, I'm just glad that we're finally having hearings and we can expose it and get to the bottom of it. I'm personally not surprised. I I think it's what we knew all along, but it's being proven. And I've said before. Uh, these people lie without shame and a tree is known by its fruit. Maybe someone is involved in a lie or whatever, but when you're constantly lying, when it's egregious, um, like, you know, just completely deliberate lying, uh, you know, you are a liar. And, you know, I think even Randy Weingarten refusing to, uh, when given a chance, would you... Uh, walk back. Would you change the policy knowing what you know now? And she wouldn't answer
1: the question. So let me ask you about that, because it's really two parts to these oversight hearings. You know, part of it is accountability, holding those accountable right. for the decisions that they made. But secondly, is informing the decisions we make going forward. So how do you think this information is going to be used, and how can it be disseminated in such a way that we don't allow a repeat of the disaster that we saw during the last pandemic?
3: Right. I think Americans and parents need to wake up. They are the God-given advocates for their children and they need to fight back just because someone says they're an expert doesn't mean that they should be, um, uh, uh, like taking over your God-given rights and responsibility to protect your children. Um, I know on one of the hearings during COVID, I actually had a Congressmen say that parents don't know what's best for their children. And so I want to look at all of this as positive because it's an opportunity for people to face the truth about who's actually advocating for your child. And it's not the teachers unions and it's not the Joe Biden administration either or the CDC.
1: Yeah, I I wanted you to expound on that for just a moment. I'm looking for I don't have the clip in front of me, but I think it was earlier this week or uh, late last week. Maybe it was Monday. President Biden uh, talking to some teachers, uh, basically repeating what a teacher said uh, that—and I'm paraphrasing uh, because I don't have Mm -hmm. it in front of me—but basically saying uh, these children, all of these children in schools, they belong to all of us. Uh, Excuse me, Mr. President. These children are mine. I take responsibility. God will hold me accountable for what I do. That's a part of the, I think, the toxic thinking in this country that these kids somehow belong to the community and to government.
3: Yes, it's shocking that we're at this place in history, but I'm excited that they're exposing themselves. And so now it's up to parents to respond to this information. The Biden administration is not for your children. The teachers' unions are not for your children either. I mean, let's face it, even Randy Weigarten, she is nothing but a political activist. Um, I know that she's joining with Congressman uh, Bozeman from or Bowman from New York to oppose standardized testing. S- to oppose standardized testing is a ruse to um, eliminate any kind of accountability for schools. Uh, the, and these are the same people that are wanting to allow men in the girls' locker rooms and showers. Yeah, it is up to the parents to push back, and they shouldn't be in charge of the curriculum. They shouldn't be in charge of our children's health protocol, and. You know, parents need—parents are going to be held accountable by God. Right. Push back people.
1: And we need to realize that this is the outcome of elections when you put an administration yes. like this in power. I mean, one of the takeaways from yesterday's hearing is that the CDC provided uncommon access to the American Federation of Teachers. Yes. And accepted two of their recommendations that significantly altered the school reopening guidance. So I, I think about that— you know, juxtaposed to what they labeled parents who were involved in education as, as domestic terrorists. Right. I mean, well,
3: and even they're they're always calling us names. We recently passed the parental bill of rights. How sad that we're at a place in our country that we have to pass that bill, number one. But number two, it took 15 hours to wrangle that bill forward while we were they were hurling insults at yeah. us and calling us names just like they did through the entire lockdown and keeping our children out of schools. I had a amendment back in February of twenty twenty one. This was after the schools were given three times the amount of money that the CDC said was necessary to open schools. They still refused to open.
1: But the good news is you didn't give up. You stuck to it and you got it yes. done. Mary, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Folks, stick with us. We're coming back with some good news out of North Dakota, another strong pro-life law passed in North Dakota. That's next. Don't go away.
6: Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child, he knows every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org/prolifemen to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
7: Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org slash worldview. Again, go to frc.org slash worldview.
1: Earlier this week, North Dakota, uh, Governor Doug Burgum signed a law to provide robust protections for unborn babies, joining Georgia and Florida as the, the states are enacting some really strong pro-life legislation. And this is encouraging. Um, the battle is, is going on in the states. Of course, we're advocating that there's still uh, work to be done here in our nation's capital. But this is what our system allows and uh, I'm excited about this. This is good, because states are challenging states to protect unborn children. Well, joining me now is the sponsor of this uh, great piece of legislation, North Dakota State Senator Yana Mirdal. She represents the 19th District of the state. She's uh, the Senate leader on life issues. Senator, welcome to Washington Watch.
4: Well, thank you, Tony. It's an honor to be on with you here, and uh, we are celebrating our governor siding with us on this and standing for life in North Dakota.
1: Well, we are, too. And let me let me commend you and congratulate you on uh, getting this piece of legislation through strongest in the nation. Uh, Describe for our viewers and listeners what this law does.
4: Well, what it actually does, Senate Bill 2150, uh, it protects life from conception. Um, We have uh, the only exceptions are life of the mother throughout the pregnancy, of course, and uh, There are rape and insects exceptions up until about six weeks. Now, these are laws that were actually on the books for about 20 years in North Dakota, but of course uh, held hostage by Roe, as you well know. And uh, when the Dobbs decision came, we went to work uh, along with a lot of pro-life organizations here in North Dakota. We went along. Pre session here and said, okay, let's now clean up our, our, our century code and our abortion language and let's undergird uh, what's been since before statehood in North Dakota. We've been a pro life uh, state. And so it protects women and children. And we've also done several other laws that are given alternatives to abortion programs and undergirding women after after those babies are born as well.
1: Now, you mentioned it kind of clears up the language. You, you were way ahead of the rest of the nation in many ways because you had, uh, I think, a, a trigger ban or a trigger law that was, in fact, uh, in uh, in place back in 2007. And then you uh, had the heartbeat bill, if I'm not mistaken, back to uh, 2013. Uh, So in the wake of Dobbs, this gave you the ability to do these things. And so this is just going back and kind of uh, uh, arranging those as they need to be under the current jurisprudence. Is that correct?
4: That is correct. And currently, of course, we were also in a, <clears throat> a lawsuit as soon as Dobbs came and we uh, our loss became effective. The abortion industry sued the trigger bill. Uh, the the heartbeat ban is at the Eighth Circuit Court, uh, but they have no authority to really not let it stand. So we figured, let's get our head of the curve here. And uh, so we've been in lawsuits back and forth for the last eight, 10 months. Uh, our Supreme Court, strangely, a few weeks ago, found a right in our Constitution to abortion. And the word health and the they decided that on a 1914 medical journal, apparently. So uh, not very, very very much jurisprudence, if you will, uh, Tony. But so we said, no, um, we're going to pass this law. We're going to make it effective immediately uh, with an emergency clause. So immediately when the governor signed this, this is a new law, a new chapter. We just consolidated it, worked with the medical associations. And the only ones that opposed this was Planned Parenthood. And you know why. Yeah. Uh, that's a billion dollar abortion industry.
1: So you're absolutely right. So, Senator Myrdal, what would you say to your fellow state legislators and in, in other states who might be hesitant to move forward with such, uh, you know, strong protections for the unborn?
4: I would say be bold. We are on the right side of this issue, right? You and I know that. Uh, I think this is the time. And like I've told the governor here, I've told lawmakers here, if we don't get this one right— um, it doesn't matter how much oil we pump or how much agricultural product we produce in North Dakota, and we're great at both, right? Uh, because if we don't get this fundamental thing of the protection of the unborn, which is the civil rights issue of, of, of our uh, generation, uh, if we don't get that right, uh, God is not going to bless our states and bless our economy. So, so be bold. I mean, what do you have to lose? And uh, if anybody wants to know what we did here, you know, feel free to contact me or, or you or anyone. This is the opportunity. This is the season to do what is right for the unborn and for women.
1: I could not agree with you more, Senator. I mean, we've been entrusted this moment. We have an opportunity to move forward. And again, I I commend you for taking that and not sitting there contemplating it, waiting, but moving boldly immediately when you're given the opportunity. And and I hope other states will follow your lead and, and do the same thing. What kind of response have you gotten from your constituents?
4: Tremendous response. Um, when I ran um, about seven years ago now for my first term, uh, you know, be, I was honest. I'm pro-life. That's non-negotiable. Uh, and uh, so I don't, I don't even get phone calls to to the contrary for my district. And uh, we are a pro-life state. Uh, and I think I've said it for ages. I grew up in Europe, a little bit more liberal, but I said it for ages. Women are strong. We can. We've gone through, you know, uh, reproductive hardships, if you will, and blessings for thousands of years. But we're strong enough. We don't need to kowtow to the abortion industry and kind of lower ourselves to the lowest common denominator and kill our offspring and kill our children in order to be successful or or to have a good life or even in crisis, Tony. Honestly, uh, I think the abortion industry belittles women, and that's one of the messages I've said over and over again. Let's, let's be strong, walk out the door, and, and we can handle that. And then let the community, the village, if you will—I hate to use that word—and the churches— and the state to come around those people in crisis and walk through it together. Uh, we can do this.
1: Well, Senator, thank you for being an example of that strength and, uh, and taking bold, courageous stance for the unborn. We appreciate it, and we're grateful for your leadership.
4: Well, we're grateful for all you do, too, in your organization. God bless. All right, thank you. Senator Myrdal of
1: uh, North Dakota. You know, actually, that's the only state in the union I have not been to. Been invited a few times, but it's always in the winter. I don't think I'm going up there in the wintertime. All right, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about two issues we've talked about already today. We're going to talk about education and the the undue influence that these unions have on the classrooms of America. And while some here in Washington don't want to talk about the abortion issue or the issue of life, primarily on the Republican side, the Democrats are not hesitant at all. In fact, President's making it a central part of his campaign for president in 2024. That's next. We'll right
7: Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation to stand for truth And to seek the Lord first, just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. Now, many of you this week have taken the SageCon survey. Now, you might uh, be hearing that for the first time. Earlier in the week, I had uh, Dr. George Barnett was on talking about SageCon, spiritually active, governance engaged, conservative. There's a high probability, high probability, that if you're listening to this program, watching this program, you are a SageCon. But there's a way for you to find out for certain. There's the Acid Test. It's a quiz, all right? And you can take the quiz. Just text the word SAGECON, that's S-A-G-E-C-O-N, all word, no spaces, SAGECON, to 67742. 67742, the word SAGECON, S-A-G-E-C-O-N. That stands for Spiritually Active, Governance Engaged, Conservative. And you'll get a link. Follow the link. You'll take a, about a 10-question survey, and you'll get a response as to whether or not you're a sage con. What's a sage con? A sage con is someone who is involved culturally, which would include politics, uh, voting, maybe running for office, maybe being in office, maybe doing what I do, because you are motivated by your faith. You are what Jesus described, salt and light, and, and that's why we do this, because we were called to be salt and light. So take the SageCon survey, SageCon to 67742. All right, this week, as promised, I promised you on Monday I was going to talk about the issue of the sanctity of human life all week, and I've talked about it every day. And I'm going to continue to talk about it. Why? Because the Democrats are talking about it. Now, many here in our nation's capital and I've had conversations at the very top of uh, the Republican uh, establishment here why they need to continue to lead on this issue, and they're listening. And thank you for helping me be able to do that, because when you respond when we put out an action item, they listen. So it's very helpful. The president on Tuesday announcing that he's running for re-election. Not quite crickets, but uh, it was all those those, uh, golf claps that you heard around the country Actually, the cheers were on the Republican side because he's got a good record for Republicans to run on. But here's what he said. I'm going to play this clip of uh, his video that he released announcing that he was running for re-election. Clip number six. Magnet extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms, cutting Social Security that you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes for the very wealthy, dictating what health care decisions women can make, banning books and telling people who they can love. All I'm making it more difficult for you to be able to vote. Now, honestly, I I, I don't do this flippantly. I I really don't. Because I I do think it's important that we respect the office of president and that we, um, you know, I I just think we're supposed to. I think we're supposed to pray for him, and I do. I pray for the president almost every day. Um, I pray that he would do the right thing. Because I, because I want to live in a country that's blessed for doing the right thing, not cursed because of the evil that is being pushed by this administration. But the president's lying, OK? I, again, I don't say that flippantly. You've heard on this program repeatedly that the Republicans are not going to cut Social Security and Medicare. That's not what they're doing. But he continues to say that because they want to scare people. But notice what he's talking about when it comes to fundamental freedoms. He's talking about abortion. He's talking about this whole transgender ideology that's being pushed on our children. Now, if you think, well, he just made that in a passing statement. Well, here is the same day the vice president made this statement. Uh, She had this to say here in Washington, D.C., at Howard University. Clip number seven.
5: The highest court of our land, Thurgood's court, took— A constitutional right that had been recognized, recognized from the people of America, from the women of America. Fundamental freedoms are under attack in our country today. I
1: mean, that's scary. Not fundamental freedoms being taken away, but the vice president, she's scary. She really is. She's scary. Uh, because she is solely focused on killing unborn children. She was—two weeks ago, she was out in Los Angeles at a women's march saying the same thing, that democracy is under attack by these individuals who are working to protect the unborn. That's scary. She is a scary person. Well, joining me now to to talk more about this is Meg Kilgannon. She is our— Educational expert, senior fellow for educational studies here at the Family Research Council, and we're going to talk education. But we're also going to talk about this agenda item of Democrats. Meg, welcome back to the program.
8: Thanks. It's a great day to be here.
1: All right, I want to get into your area of expertise of uh, of education, but I, I had to uh, I had to vent. Uh, this is a big issue, and the Democrats continue to talk about it. The president is talking about it. Almost every other word out of his mouth is about taking the lives of unborn children. And if Republicans won't stand up and defend it—and and, and let me put this in—I've I got to be very careful about this. I don't want to come across with a broad brush, because we just heard the state senator from North Dakota who was anything <laughs> but being silent on this issue. So I'm talking about some here in our nation's capital right. that are saying this is a state's issue. States may be taking the, the, the point position on this and doing the, the, the bulk of the work, but we still need to talk about it here.
8: No, absolutely. And that, that whole setup, the the clips that you played, that that's classic Democratic Party politics, right? The politics of fear and the politics of framing everything as if mean people are trying to take things away from innocent, hardworking Americans, when exactly the opposite is the case. Um, as a voter, it offends me, that the way they, the way they speak about these things. But we
1: got to call them out.
8: Yes, to try to frame the, the concept of freedom as the ability to end the life of a child in his or her mother's womb. That's just offensive.
1: I don't know, maybe it's just me, but the vice president was Howard, at Howard University for a reproductive freedom rally. I mean, uh, it, last time I, I I checked the headlines, there are a lot of things happening in this nation. Inflation going through through the roof, interest rates, uh, the the world is teetering, and, and that's what they're focused on. And they accuse us of being the ones talking about it. Well, we're simply responding to what they're trying to th- cram down our throats.
8: Right, and they package it in the especially in the in the little Biden ad or whatever he's calling his announcement speech, Um, they package it with abortion and the quote-unquote book banning, which, you know, it's just parents saying we'd rather not have pornography in the library for our kids, right? The things that they say, they, the opposite is, in fact, the case of what's happening. Well,
1: great transition to the education issue, uh, because that's exactly what that was about. Uh, but I did want to ask you a question before we get to the education issue. How many times do you think he had to take that commercial? <laughs> <laughs> I bet I, the reason he did it that way is so that he would get it right. And I, I, I just have to imagine he didn't get it on the
8: first take. I imagine not. And they don't have the Cracker Jacks video people that we have here at FRC to work with, so it probably did take them a long yeah. time to come up with that. So
1: let's talk about the education. As you heard earlier, uh, we had uh, Congressman uh, Mary Miller on, uh, talking about the testimony of uh, the sub, the select committee on the coronavirus yesterday, where uh, Randy Weingarten, you know, a union person, who
8: yes. um,
1: Undue influence. I mean, ha- has the cell number of the director of the CDC—I didn't play that clip. Oh, I did play it at the top sure. of the show. But uh, this, the cell number of the CDC director and members of Congress were saying, well, I don't even have that number. Right.
8: <laughs> well, I you know, I have a personal anecdote about this. A friend of mine had— had elementary school age children in schools in a, in a county near Richmond, Virginia, and they had their reopening plan all set to go. And she was telling her kids, "Yes, we're going to go back to school on Monday." And they were so excited. They missed their friends. They're old enough to still love their teachers and to be in that innocent part of of uh, a school age life. And um, and I, she we, we were talking on the phone, and she said they were going back. And I said, "Well." You know, our school board in, in Fairfax is meeting this week, and they're not going to open our schools, and your union is not going to let your schools open either. And she said, well, but we have the plan. We're all ready to go. And I and, and I, th- we told the kids, and I said, well, you better tell them something else, because I really don't think you're going So-so's? back. And lo and behold, they didn't. And it was because of the kind of behind-the-scenes maneuvering and special access that someone like the ATF president has to our governmental leaders because of the Biden administration.
1: When we already knew, evidence was beginning to surface. Now, we're, talking about the, we're not talking about the initial closings. We're talking about the reopening. Right. This was a, a year after the coronavirus. Right. Where we knew we were having um, ex- were high levels of depression among children, right. uh, children falling behind. Yes. There were a lot of issues.
8: Yes, and children all over the world were going back to school in person, and there were no issues. Right. We had evidence.
1: Well, we we also had evidence that children were the least uh, likely to suffer uh, dramatic effects from the the
8: coronavirus. Right. But they had so they had so terrified the entire population and especially uh, teachers and, um, you know, basically the Democratic voting base. Right. Um, about the dangers of this. And, and you know, the, the accusation was, well, you're going to kill teachers if you let the children back into school, which is just well. A, a first, it was,
1: first, it was the grandparents. Right. You're going to kill your grandmother if you go out of the house and you go see your grandmother. You're going to kill them. Right. Now, if you go to school, you're going to kill your right. teacher.
8: I mean, this is just a terrible, terrible situation to, to create for any. any. But anybody.
1: it's but it's, you, you mentioned it earlier. It's a typical tactic of the left. The it is the of fear. fearmongering. Yes, yes. Because you can move a people when you scare people.
8: Right, right. And and I I would the alternative to that is the politics of what's possible, right? The the politics of hope and yeah. and speaking about what what we envision for a positive future moving forward, which is what I would love to hear from people on the other side. So,
1: well, let's talk about that silver lining coming out of uh, this fear-mongering that we've we've witnessed in the last few years. Parents are stepping forward and taking charge of their children and of their local
8: schools. They are, and it's great to see um, we are hearing so so frequently from people in the grassroots about the facts that they've they've taken over their school board and they're able to put through policies. And do we have information about this particular topic or that particular topic to help them in their work? And fortunately, we do. So it's it,
1: it, that, that's actually a part of what the president was saying in his announcement about the book banning.
8: About the book banning, right?
1: Um, you know, it, it, I, I heard a great illustration about this, um, uh, where a, a, a parent—actually, well, it was a school board member—pushed back on this issue uh, because their first school board meeting after they got elected, they were talking about these books being right. inappropriate, and, and the attorney for the school board said, oh, uh, that's book banning. We don't engage in book banning. So the next meeting, the, the, the new school board member was better equipped and said, um, I, I want to— put this playboy magazine into the school library i'm going to donate it now oh we can't do that that's inappropriate mm-hmm. you mean you you would ban this ban.
8: yes well that's exactly the point no one is banning any books the, the, the process of selecting appropriate reading materials and appropriate library materials for educational purposes right. is the exact opposite of banning books. Well,
1: well the issue and is the line of what's appropriate and what is not. That's yes. what we're to talk that's what we're right. talking about. right. Who's going to determine what is appropriate and what is not? It's not about banning books.
8: Certainly not. We, I, that, that is completely beyond the scope of the conversation except when for politi- political purposes you want to exploit people's fear. Right. Then you want to it's, talk it's about one of that those, issue. It's one of
1: those dog whistles. Right. Banning.
8: We're certainly not doing that. There are there are educational materials that are appropriate for schools, and there are other books that are certainly free to be published in the marketplace, but that I, as a parent and a taxpayer, exactly. do not have to fund. Right. Right.
1: My children are exposed to that. They're exposed to the children who are exposed to that, and it's my tax dollars that pay for it. And I have a voice in that.
8: Absolutely. Absolutely and we you know we do live in a in a democracy as they well, like but to say attack. right it's under attack it's under
1: attack by <laughs> they uh, want a democracy to on, on
8: everything yeah. but this topic right well
1: everything but what they don't want people to change right um, and that's why we have to be engaged now's the time actually to be thinking about school board elections
8: yes School board elections happen all year long, and there are school board elections coming up in Texas. There are school board elections coming up in uh, in May. I think there are a few in June, and we have lots of information about that at www.frcaction.org slash schools, and we'll be updating our school board boot camp later this month, and we're really just— continuing to engage in this space and loving every minute
1: so folks there's uh online resources frcaction.org slash schools right yes and so there's a school board boot camp that's on there these are digital uh resources that are available but are we uh are we looking at uh another school board boot camp coming up yes so, okay yes right. and the next so one you'll let me know
8: yes i will let you know <sighs>
1: And our listeners and viewers will know as well. So, folks, it's a great opportunity to be, number one, praying about what the Lord would have you to do. Now is not the time to step back. Now is not the time to think, well, I'll let somebody else do it. My neighbor will take care of it. No, what what is God calling you to do? So make it a matter of prayer. Now, might not be that you're to be a candidate, but you might support one or help fund a campaign. But there's something for you to do, and you can find it at frcaction.org schools. Meg Kilgannon, thanks for stopping in today.
8: Thanks for having me. It's great always, to be here.
1: Always great to see you. So be sure and check that out, folks, because we need more and more people involved. But be praying. This is a challenging time, but God has entrusted us with this moment. So let's do our part. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported.